Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Talking about chicken a la king, mango and garbanzo, tabbouleh, Real potatoes and vegetables with roasted garlic and basil, zucchini, ziti, granola, fruit bar. Look at all this beautiful food. Welcome to Green Eggs and Dan, where I interview amazing people with amazing minds, but all I care about is what is in their fridge. My guest today, an amazing chef, host of the Don't Panic Pantry on YouTube. His new cookbook is called The Don't Panic Pantry Cookbook, coming out January 31st. Amazing book. I just got my hands on it. He's also the co-author of On Vegetables, and he's had his hands in a couple of my favorite restaurants in L.A., which we'll get to in a minute. Please welcome Noah Galutin. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So, Noah, this cookbook is really interesting. So I first came upon you during the pandemic when you and your wife, Eliza, Eliza Schlesinger, who's been a guest of the pod. You've seen another photo of my fridge in a different context. Yes, exactly. By the way, guest on Green Eggs and Dan is Eliza's, I think, best credit up to date. So yeah, I think it's the only one that gets listed now when she she goes uh, out on the road. I'm glad that I could provide that for her. But she I always knew that she married a chef and I always knew that And then I had her on the pod and I realized who you were and that you had your fingers in some of my favorite restaurants in L.A., including uh, Bloodzo's, Koufax, the the breakfast burrito at Koufax, which is probably one of my faves in L.A. I think it uh, probably feeds like half the writer's rooms in Los Angeles. (laughs) It's definitely like when I'm hungover, my Pavlovian response is to uh, hit up Koufax. And then uh, also Prime Pizza, which... uh, that's is, right. is one of the finer New York slices in L.A., not just according to me, according to Dave Portnoy. <laughs> Dave Portnoy loved Dave it. Portnoy and uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll, we'll take it. It's uh, yeah, they've been they've been expanding like crazy and doing very well. I'm not super involved these days, but uh, I love those guys. And, and uh, yeah, it's, um, it's the best. I mean, but the cookbook is what I'm most interested in. And we'll get to it in a second. First. Let us get into your fridge. You guys can see Noah's fridge on my Instagram at StandUpDan. Okay, here we go. This is quite a, it's a pretty chefy fridge. It is, and it's a unique scenario. We were just out of town for like a week and a half, and I came back and like went to the farmer's market, and that's it. And then as luck would have it, uh, I got to help out with a crazy event in downtown LA, and I have a lot of fun little weird take-home gifts from that so it's a yeah it's an eclectic it's an eclectic mix but i think also pretty accurately reflect reflects uh my life at any given time yeah it's a great it's a it's a great fridge um staring at me right in the face are three p 
pizza boxes yeah. with with uh, with your name on them. Noah in Sharpie on them in my own handwriting. Uh, yeah. So on uh, on Monday night, I had the uh, amazing good fortune to be able to go help out. Uh, so, you know, the Netflix chef's table pizza season that came out this year. Yes, of course. Oh, were you at the pop up at the Barish? I was at the pop-up at uh, Pizzeria Bianco. Um, okay. I'm uh, I'm trying to hopefully work on something with Sarah Minnick, and she and I have been Instagram friends for a long time, and she was in town, so we went to the farmer's market together, and then I went to go hang out and work the oven for that event, and I got to, I know Chris Bianco a little bit, so I got to hang out with, you know, Sarah Minnick making pizzas in the back, hang out with Chris Bianco, uh, and then also uh, Ann Kim, who I got to meet that night, who has the uh, incredible pizzeria and restaurant uh young Joni in Minneapolis. So it was like this like kind of cool industry night. And I got to just hang out in the kitchen and make pizzas. And then I got to bring them all back for Eliza and and obviously myself as well. And then above it you'll see <laughs> there's uh Sarah Minnick's extra tomato sauce with fermented carrots, fermented chilies, and Castle Vetrano olives because she's a maniac and makes I think I mean I honestly think that Sarah Minnick has the best pizzeria in America. And I just it's it's so different from anyone else's pizza. It's uh, not for everybody, I'm sure. But I, it's like as a guy who grew up loving, you know, the classic New York slice shops, her pizza just defies all logic. And where's so, her pizzeria uh, again? In Portland, Oregon. It's, it's, Portland. Uh, it's incredible. She does these like super duper uh, high whole wheat percentages in her crust. They're all mm-hmm. naturally fermented, but yet somehow for being so weedy, they're like pliable, crispy, fluffy. And then she does these incredible kind of uh, farmer's market vegetable uh, and uh, local cheese combinations and just uh, kind of just makes these unbelievable pizzas. And as they say, you know, the weirder they sound, the better they end up being. I love it. Yeah. Um, First of all, I can't imagine more pressure than cooking pizza for those people. Well, I was just working the oven. So, you know, that's the (laughs) easiest job on the line. So I didn't have to make the dough, didn't have to make any of the stuff. You know, if I'm screwing up there, it's just out of not paying attention. And Sarah was there too. And yeah. And it was, you know, and they all got to kind of hang out together. And it's it's always fun when when like colleagues get to hang out. I just got to kind of hang out in the blast radius and 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 learn a few tricks and get to know everybody. And they're all like the nicest people in the world. Like Sarah's incredible. Chris is like notoriously one of the best people in the business. And I got to meet Ann Kim, who is just so lovely. And I uh, can't wait to uh, to make it out to her restaurant um, whenever Eliza's playing Minneapolis next. <laughs> I feel like there is a pizza revolution happening in LA that is so unbelievable. I feel like our pizza right now is better than, I, I would, I would put us toe to toe with New York right now. I feel like we have some, uh, especially Neapolitan wise. I think we might be even better. Um, we have yeah, insanely I mean, good pizza right now in LA. I would say New York's probably still better than us, but I, uh, you know, the problem with me, I've got, and I have a whole lot of pizza opinions and a lot of hot takes about pizza. We can get into this too. It depends on how deep you want to go. I've got like a lot of subjects I can go really deep on, but yeah, you know, I'm personally like really tired of Neapolitan pizzas and neo-Neapolitan pizzas. And yes, there are great ones, but it's like, uh, there's this thing that happens. And I, I talk to the guys that are about this a lot is like, you know, you can go to a, a restaurant like, you know, like say John and Vinny's or any of like any of the high end kind of uh, Neapolitan-ish or neo-Neapolitan pizzas. Mm-hmm. And you can charge $22 for like a 12-inch pizza and nobody yeah. flinches. And then you can get a New York-style pizza that is 18 inches and costs $26 and everyone tells you it's too expensive. And, it's, <laughs> right. uh, and no one realizes how math works that like a 20-inch pie is not twice as big as a 10-inch pie. Every inch on a pizza is exponential. So you end up 
you know, when we decreased our pizza from 20 inches to 18, 18 inches at prime because they wouldn't fit in people's cars, it's actually a third less cheese because you think about it, if you took that last inch around a circle and unspooled it, it's right. the, it's the, the, that's the longest piece of track. And There's so, a, lot of, a lot of high school math going on right here, but yes, I'm with you. But so anyway, I just think, uh, yeah, people uh, are willing to pay a lot of money for a uh, relatively small pizza that is mostly crust, which is flour and water. And that's uh, always, I like, I don't know, for me, like my dream is, uh, is like, in LA, I want to be able to sit in a dive bar and eat like a thin, like crispy Chicago style tavern pizza. And that's like all I want in the world these days. Yeah, I think that's probably the last one that hasn't made it to LA is the tavern style. I know that uh, at, at Electric Owl, they started making them with some pop up yeah. guy. Was yeah, there? And like Ospi in Venice does some like thin crust Italian style, like the Roman tone to style and things like that. They're out there for sure. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I just. Uh, you know, as I'm a, with you. It's funny. I, I actually had an ex, I had experience recently at uh, Mother Wolf, which is the hot new oh, restaurant yeah. in L.A. Evan Funky's place. Yeah, Evan Funky's place. And you go there with like two people. You have some drinks and it's like 400 bucks. And then you leave and you're like, that was all flour and water. How did it have, How did that get to four hundred dollars? <laughs> well, labor is very expensive. And uh, but, you know. I'm, yeah, I, I mean, it's a vibe too. You're paying for a little bit. Oh, of for sure. Too. And you're paying for build out investors and all these things that, yeah. but, uh, you know, it's restaurants are going to be expensive and they're getting more expensive and that's the way it should be. Frankly, as you know, everybody wants uh, everyone to have fair wages, but nobody wants to pay for it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't think the economy really works this way, but if we're up to me, like there'd be half as many restaurants that all quite cost twice as much and people would stay home right. and cook more. And, right. Uh, they can use my cookbook to do that, uh, which we'll get to in a minute. I also love in the middle row of your fridge, you've got what looks like two New York strips hanging out on a. Uh, Those um, are actually bone in ribeyes. I uh, I'm a, we're not big, big meat eaters in this house, uh, despite uh -huh. that refrigerator. I'm a big believer in like the less and better model when it comes to meat. So yeah. <clears throat> I these are from uh, the farmer's market from an amazing uh, place called Peds and Barnett that. Uh, they have they're known for the having these incredible pigs and they're super sustainable and they're incredibly flavorful. And just this year, they started doing uh, cows in the style of these like Galicia retired dairy cows. This is like the nerdiest opening. To a oh, podcast yeah. Ever. No, no, no. I, but, I know all about those. And so these are their uh, sort of they take retired retired dairy cows that have been treated really, really well and eating the finest things basically treat them like gods before quote unquote harvesting them, which is like the uh, PC way of not PC, but I guess the less terrifying way of saying you killed some cows. Right. And, Slaughtering. Uh, <clears throat> and so, yeah, there's are just incredibly flavorful steaks. I literally just, I season them with salt and pepper the day before I want to eat them, put them on the rack, let them hang out and then just grill them. And that's it. And do they and, age them or no? Uh, those are aged. I'm fairly certain. Yeah. Hmm. But uh, yeah, my, that's my big steak trick is is season it at least the day before you want to eat it. And it just gets more and more flavorful. The salt actually penetrates into the inside of the steak instead of just being on the outside. And it gets nice uh, caramelization, draws out any unneeded moisture. Works really well on chickens, too. Yeah, I was going to say when I uh, after reading the Zuni Cafe cookbook, I, I got onto the train of salt your proteins days before you're going to use them and just throw them in the fridge. Yeah, not fish, but uh, yeah, right. chicken, steak, pork, all that stuff. Works Although great. I did have some of that dry-aged fish the other day from that guy in the valley, and that kind of blew yeah. my mind. Their stuff is great. 
that blew my wallet too, but it also blew my mind. I know you're going to give me shit. You're going to be like, you know how much it costs to run those dry agers? <laughs> I mean, well, you're basically, you're paying rent at that point. You're paying right. for storage and, and that's kind of a big part of it. Absolutely. <clears throat> you know, at the end of the day, it's, if you want to pay for it, you can. And if you don't, then they'll either stay in business or they won't. And that's exactly, you kind of, you vote with your dollars on that stuff. So you've got a lot of stuff here, which again, you talk about in the cookbook, but you've got your white miso, you've got your gochujang, which is the fermented uh, Korean hot sauce. Yeah. Um, Sauerkraut hiding in there. What is this over here? That's sauerkraut. Oh, is it really? That's that, uh, that Sonoma brinery. They do. I find there to be my fame to be my favorite of like the kind of relatively commercially available sauerkrauts here in the U S they're just like naturally fermented. As I continue my crusade to get people to realize that sauerkraut is not just for sausages, it's yeah. literally just cabbage and salt and thyme. So it should be able to go with a lot of things other than than a sausage, although it is admittedly delicious on sausage and super good for you and probiotic and all that fun stuff. I mean, I feel like most of this, it's very hard to find a sauerkraut that's just water and salt, though, right? Like most of yeah, it has a they lot have to of be other... in like fridge section sauerkrauts for that matter. Interesting. Um, a lot of times the ones that are like fully cooked or pasteurized, there's like different stuff to it. But yeah, that's like, you know, that's my, my, your standard, like, you know, Burbank, a whole foods selection right. over there. Right. Um, Might not be also, in, a, in a Ralph's in, in Tustin. You also have um, in, no, no offense to Ralph's, Ralph's is going to reach out to us now. Like, <laughs> look at this. We got the best sauerkraut. I mean, wild, wild flex to name your company after vomiting. <laughs> I never even thought about that. <laughs> Speaking of vomit, you have a vomit-looking smoothie on the top of that's actually straight out of the cookbook. Believe it or not, yeah, that is uh, it's, that is what I actually eat every day for breakfast. I make other stuff too sometimes when I really want to, but my go-to breakfast is uh, a beverage that I call Health Sludge, and it is not <laughs> supposed to be delicious. It is literally just how do I get all these nutrients and vitamins and fiber and all the things that I want to eat in the morning, put it into a blender, blend it up, and drink it. And yeah. it's, uh, and the trick to a healthy smoothie, because I think people, you know, you put a bunch of orange juice or apple juice in there and now you're trying to pretend it's healthy, but it's just like a, a giant bowl of sugar at that point yeah. is I'd use water as a liquid. Mm -hmm. It's not delicious that way. So that's water, collard greens, uh, usually some frozen cranberries or blueberries, maybe a banana. If I really want to, uh, up my pleasure, uh, usually some kind of oats, flax seeds, chia seeds, turmeric, ginger. And just uh, chug it down. And that's I mean, you and I have a very similar morning smoothie, if I yeah. may. Yeah, uh, please. And I think it's delicious. I mean, I have my I, I always put bananas in it, but frozen bananas, frozen blueberries, peanut butter, chia seeds, cinnamon, and then water to the top. And it's that's delicious. It. The best. Yeah. And yeah. And uh, I think you're underselling your sludge. <laughs> it's, you know, but I, I think it's. Part I don't of, put greens in mine though. I should put greens in mine. Put the greens in. You got to get. I. That's like. That's like seven leaves of whole collard green leaves in there. Raw collard greens. Yeah. Wow. And they're from the farmers markets. They're kind of more tender, younger ones. They're not like the big gnarly ones. But yeah, you can do kale. You can do spinach. You can do any kind of things like that. Just I, you know. Get I put it all arugula. I, I put arugula in ones because I was running out of arugula. Guess what? I don't think you can do arugula. It's a little peppery. It's a little peppery. It's a little peppery. Yeah, you want some. And the collard greens actually kind of blend really smoothly. Those, those work pretty well. Yeah, and just actually, when I was writing Kevin Bloodsoe's cookbook with him, we drank these green smoothies every morning before we set about cooking, you know, uh, 
<laughs> no way. Uh, soul food all day and barbecue. It keeps you going. It gives you energy. Loads yeah, you up. I, you know, it works. Going into your doors now, you got the Q- QP mayo here, which is a, that's the hot mayo all the kids are talking about. It's, you know, if, if you want your mayonnaise to have uh, to be already seasoned with plenty of salt and sugar, that's the one for you. Yeah. And some MSG, which always adds a little. <laughs> it's the best. Um, Finally then, getting its getting its credit. Then uh, is this fancy pants mustard up here? No, that's uh, f- like fermented Chinese rice. Fermented rice. I don't even know what that is. Uh, to be honest, I haven't gotten into it yet. A friend of mine brought it over because we do a lot of, I have like a very good friend who's, uh, um, like a super successful, talented kind of, uh, music director and touring musician plays with lots of great bands. And, uh, he became like my go-to pandemic buddy. And we just basically, uh, we have a lot of random drunken nights where it's like, all right, let's drink whiskey and then cook. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it works out. I love it. Um, all right, cool. So let's, I want to, is there anything else you want to cover before we get into your book? Um, let's see. Well, I will, uh, I guess there's the two labeled jars in the middle that are kind of amazing. Oh, and then I'm also pretty proud of the, my homemade baby food for my daughter in the corner. But those oh, wow. are uh, these, one of the fun benefits of, of getting to write cookbooks with uh, amazing people is I'm writing one now with uh, Naisha Arrington, who's a genius, uh, incredibly talented chef, one of the loveliest people in the world. And so as I'm recipe testing stuff for her, there's stuff like her Isun sauce and this like veggie scrap vinegar. Um, it's just, it's always fun to, and I just, it's a, a cool part of my life that I went from being somebody who nerded out about cookbooks and cooking and learning that stuff as just an amateur to now getting to almost like go to these food nerd fantasy camps and learn from people like Kevin Bloodsoe, Naisha Arrington. Uh, I'm writing a book with Ari Colander right now and uh, Jeremy Fox and, uh, it's yeah, this incredibly cool, fun life I've sort of uh, found myself in. I also give you uh, credit for your label game. You've got blue painters tape. That's which... just restaurant life through and through. <laughs> you got to have blue tape, and that's uh, you know, I would say Jeremy probably will be upset with me because I didn't uh, uh, cut the corners, cut the edges to clean lines. A lot of chefs yeah. are very anal about that, right? But I, I don't, I don't give a shit. I just rip them. No, we, we, we won't ding you on on green eggs. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I am normally not a cookbook person and okay. I don't usually love cookbooks. Cause I just think it's a lot of times it's just sh- restaurant chefs just kind of shooting their load on a book and be like, look at the beautiful food I make that you'll never be able to make at home. Yes. Um, and that definitely exists. Although I find that the marketplace is changing a lot and people don't really want that anymore. I don't think so. I mean, they're my coffee table books. Don't get me wrong. I've yeah. got the per se cookbook on my coffee table. Yeah. Um, but um, I love, uh, first of all, I, I love the, the forward, uh, the, um, the introduction in your book oh, because I was like, Oh, he and I are on the same page on a lot of stuff, which is why I was into this. I mean, even on the, on the cover, it says mostly vegetarian comfort food that happens to be pretty good for you. I think that's probably how I eat. I mean, the funny thing is when people meet me, they're like, how are you so skinny? Cause on Instagram, I'm posting, the fucking, you know, fried chicken and waffles that I'm eating. But yeah, because you don't tr- post the like the poached egg you ate with nothing <laughs> right. on it. Exactly. I mean, my lunch every day is usually a handful of arugula and some tomatoes and whatever I have around. I don't even put yeah. dressing on it. I'm just like, you know, whatever. But I think that's the way people need to eat. And that's why I kind of I was like, oh, this is this could be interesting. And then I read your introduction. And I was like, oh, dude, we are on the same page and you have these 
seven rules um, of your your don't panic rules or guidelines. Yeah, I don't like rules. Right. They're not rules. They're well, they're, yeah, they're guidelines because, you know, it's do whatever you got to do. You know what I mean? Like you try to go toward things. You work on things in general. I, I'm a big believer in like that trying matters, that better is enough. And I think so often, I mean, how many people in your life have you seen who try to change their entire life, go hire a personal trainer, change their entire diet, change everything about their life, and it lasts for three weeks at best, and then they right. go back to their old life. Right. And that's not sustainable. That's not change or growth. That's a, that's a, that's a side hobby for a few weeks. Totally, totally. Um, and so I just want to go through these and, you know. Let's do it. Yeah, number one is too much of any one thing is bad. Yeah, there's balance. I get that, and I love that because I do feel like my thing with American eating especially is that everyone's looking for the diet where they can have as much of X as possible, yeah. and they'll be fine. It's like, oh, this is it's the carnivore diet. I, all I have to do is eat red meat every day, and I'll be fine. Yeah, or, or intermittent then, fasting. If I just only eat for three hours a day, I can do whatever I want. Yeah, the least sexy, like they take all the sex out of food. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like just eat between four and five thirty. Just shove in whatever you want in your gullet, and you'll be What's fine. The, there was the great line from uh, that show, The Good Place, where they say there's uh, nothing more human than than frozen yogurt. The idea of taking something great and making it a little bit worse so you can have more of it. <laughs> right. So true. I mean. You know, and then there's like uh, the you you give the example of kale. Kale was the hot green for a while and everyone was just like kale everything. It's like, yeah, if you eat kale every day, you're going to get sick. And do you know Um, where kale originally uh, who the biggest purchaser of kale was before the big kale boom? Who? Sizzler, because they used it to line their buffets. (laughs) Shut up. Yeah. Is that true? That was like, yeah, all the ice was covered in in kale back in the day before (laughs) kale became the cool, the cool vegetable. That is hilarious. And look, I love kale. It's in my book a ton, but you know, you know, throw yeah. in a cauliflower or something. But there's no magic bullet diet. Like that's that to me is what too much of a bad of any one thing is bad kind of means. And then two is balance is good, which obviously along the same lines is rule number one. Three, refined sugar is bad and it is hiding everywhere. Yeah. I, one of the ones that kills me now because I'm always kind of fascinated by uh by like uh the way that People can do labeling, and uh, yeah. I actually had a recently a fascinating conversation with um, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, Michael Moss, who was talking about uh, this this idea that the FDA and the USDA are here to protect us is actually bullshit. That they're essentially they're a negotiation with corporations about what they have to do, mm. and to give people the impression of transparency on labels. So, like my favorite example right now is. Uh, You'll look on like, you know, certain snack bars and stuff, and it says evaporated cane juice. Yeah. It's literally sugar. That's right. how you make sugar. <laughs> That's true. That's a, I never even thought about that. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's evaporated cane juice. In that case, it's probably fine. Um, like That's that amazing. kind of shit drives me crazy. Um, it's like saying harvested instead of slaughtered. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so like that kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, it's, you know, when you look at, I mean, there's just, I mean, you've you've probably been uh, in an airport lounge from time to time with an upgrade pass trying to figure out uh, what to eat that's not going to be miserable. And it's just like every yogurt has sugar in it. Every uh, granola is packed with sugar. Remember those like Nature Valley granola bars that they give it to us in camp under the impression that it's oats so it's good for you? It's a fucking candy bar. It just happens to have a little more fiber than everything else. And these fiber bars, all this stuff, there's just, you know, people are buying, you know, 
cinnamon apple oatmeal, and it's just packed with sugar. You know, usually if you get a latte and ask for a uh, an, a uh, almond milk latte, chances are the almond milk has sugar in it, and no one even realizes it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that I, I don't remember where it was I read it, but like m- anytime you read about the health benefits on the box of something you're buying, it's probably bullshit. Like if it's like extra fiber, like it's probably just covering up extra yeah. sugar. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, read the labels closely if you, if you can, but you know, a lot of it is, is intentionally uh, confusing and meant to give us the impression of actually, <laughs> I have an article coming out, uh, I think within the next week or so with eater. And it was all about me when I was writing the, uh, the, chicken broth head note for my recipe in my cookbook of how to make mm-hmm. chicken stock. I wanted to uh, talk about how it's so much better than the stuff you get in the box at the grocery store. And then uh, I was like, well, what is in that stuff? And tried to look it up and couldn't find out. And you look at the ingredients on a box of chicken broth and the first ingredient is chicken broth. Right. And I was like, well, what the fuck does that mean? If you bought a bottle of ketchup, the first ingredient was ketchup. It wouldn't be like, yeah. I, it. And so uh, I went down this whole rabbit hole with that stuff. But it's kind of, fascinating but it's uh yeah like they don't want you to know they want you to feel good enough to not complain about what about fancy pants chicken broth is that usually better or that's all still bullshit i mean depends on what you think better is and then the fancy pants ones i mean look and there's a reason that it works the way that it works is that uh you know if you made chicken stock from scratch and you sold it fresh it would be really expensive really hard to ship and it would be you know uh it would go bad very quickly yeah. yeah, now at like, you know, higher end place, you can buy them in the freezer section and they're more expensive. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, if you take a box of chicken broth and you put it into a pot and you turn it onto a rolling boil, it will eventually just evaporate into nothing. It won't turn into a demi-glace the way that homemade chicken stock will. Really? Yeah. And huh. so that's one of those things that, uh, and what I discover over the course of this article, which will come out at some point. Um, is that basically there are three gigantic multinational food corporations that you've never heard of that make a concentrate that they then sell to your Swanson's and your Whole Foods and all these companies that then add their own, you know, carrot juice extract and sugar and salt to have their recipe. But essentially, you're just kind of buying this this concentrate and then they're uh, it sort of makes you uh, demystified toward the idea of brand loyalty. Right. The right. idea that Campbell's is making it like your grandmother while while, you know, you know, Trader Joe's isn't is uh, kind of absurd. They, it is in all likelihood made by one of three corporations that you've never wow. heard of that also make like dehydrated chicken powders and dog food and flavor. They're like called flavor and fragrance companies. Right, right, right. Cool. Noah ruins uh, Christmas for everyone, guys. Oh, I got a whole bunch of those. <laughs> Let me know if you want to talk about uh, eggs at some point. Well, Let's get to rule number five and then we'll get the eggs, but we should be eating less meat and higher quality meat. Yeah. And this is kind of what I said before, the less and better thing. It's, you know, America has this, this fascination with what sort of happened in America is uh, people decided they wanted something and they go, oh, I had steak. That's good. Can I have that every day? And, uh, and the industrial food system said, yeah, just don't look. And right. as a result, you know, you end up with this, pretty horrifying food system. And we saw it during the pandemic that, you know, the shortages in beef were not because it didn't have enough beef. It's because we were processing them all in these giant facilities and everyone kept getting sick in them. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, uh, as much as possible, I think that there's a kind of better way to look at the world. I think that, you know, meat should be expensive and it should be harder to come by. 
And right. you should have it not be, you know, two thirds of the plate the way that it is in many American homes. It should be more like one third of the plate. Or you can By use way, a little you, bit of it to accent something you're making. You came over yesterday to drop off your cookbook. And I wish I had, uh, I have a deep freezer in my, in my garage full of uh, elk that I, that I killed. Oh, that, oh there you go. That I harvested. There and, you go. Uh, I Sounds like I uh, you and Joe Rogan went hunting together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm the way less muscular Joe Rogan. <laughs> um, now, this is probably the rule that to me was the most interesting one because I never really, really thought about it. But everyone is focused on protein when they should be focused on fiber. I've this always was... thought that people overdo the protein thing. That to me is, seemed obvious. I never thought of like fiber needs to be a vital part of the diet. This was something that was a big surprise to me, too. Um, in my research for this book, I had the very, very good fortune. I have a, I have a, a friend who used to be the head of the UCLA Institute of the Environment and Sustainability. Now he runs the Aquarium of the Pacific down in Long Beach. And uh, he is a big sustainability expert, used to run the Nature Conservancy. And so when I wanted to do scientific research about things that I kind of thought were true, but didn't know, I wanted to really do the real research on it. So I would have him pull into all of his databases for all these studies. And his big thing, which I really believe in, is any individual study is very hard to reproduce and not necessarily going to give you an ultimate truth. They did a study once somewhere, who cares? But these are metadata studies, meta-analysis. So these are the analysis of thousands and thousands and thousands of studies to get, find out what actually is happening. And the number one thing, and you can see there's sources are cited in the book for this, that we are a, essentially a fiber-deficient country. And if people were eating the amount of fiber they're supposed to be eating, um, which I don't have the number in front of me, but it's probably written in there somewhere, mm -hmm. uh, it decreases what they call all-cause death by 30%. So you reduce your chance of dying by a third That's by crazy. eating more fiber. And I was like, it was one of those things where just like, how is everyone not just trying to eat more fiber? And it's, uh, it's unbelievably good for you. It helps the whole, it helps the machinery work. And uh, people, I think, are just like trying to crush protein bars and eat boneless, skinless chicken breasts. And, uh, and you know, the truth is we're all getting enough protein. Yeah. You know, unless you are like, you know, a very picky vegan, you know, you're probably getting enough protein. And then rule number seven is stock your pantry to make home cooking the more convenient option. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, I, if I'm out of town for like a week and I come home and I get home from the flight and it's like 730 at night, and it's like, would you want to like order takeout and do all these things? Or I can go into my pantry. There's a can of beans in there. There's a can of tomatoes some dried pasta, some frozen spinach in the freezer. You can throw together like a quick little like pasta fazool or something. You can make things in that way that you just are set up to be able to make yourself dinner when you need to. And I, I'm a big, big believer in that. The number of times I was in, you know, in my 20s and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. And do you want to go spend the money you don't have to go out to dinner? And when you can just throw some stuff together, it just makes life a lot easier and better. And you have more control over your diet. You save money. You it's and uh, yeah, I'm a big believer in that. Totally. Um, it's I, I feel like sometimes I mess that part up where like I'm like, no, I want to I want to make everything from scratch. And it's like I have all these from scratch ingredients that it would take me, yeah. you know, and, way you know, too long I, to. And the good thing is you can have both. I mean, some stuff like a can of beans. Like, look, I love cooking from dried beans. I get them from Rancho Gordo. There's amazing stuff out there in the world, but man, a can of beans is, is still really cheap. It's really good for you. High in fiber, 
And you can just throw that into a saute pan with some garlic, throw some greens in there. And then basically like that's already like a healthy little snack. Um, you can make all kinds of stuff with those things. I mean, dried pastas, uh, canned beans, lentils, all that stuff is just, uh, it's a great thing to have on hand. And, you know, honestly, you can have, you know, soba noodles and tahini and uh, tamari, olive oil. You can throw together a quick little lunch uh, yeah. or a late night dinner for yourself super easily. A big part of it is just knowing what you like to make, what you know how to make. Get a couple of things in your back pocket and keep the ingredients on hand to be able to do it. Because you know, I'll tell you what, like your last minute pantry dinner is still going to taste better than, you know, spending $40 on mediocre, you know, Postmates that comes an hour after you ordered it. Right, right. And and so I love the recipes in your book because they all feel like stuff that I probably already have the ingredients at home to make. <laughs> so yeah. it's nothing too crazy. And also I love the kind of, you have this, I felt myself reading your introduction and just like pumping my fist in the air because it was oh, like that's so great. the part where you said restaurant cooking is very different from home cooking. They're almost entirely unrelated. They are about as related as writing a book is to reading a book or as doing a load of laundry is to running a laundromat. And I think yeah. that's like, I've read so many cookbooks that are written by chefs and you're like, they do not know how to cook for two people. Just like quick, yeah. like everything seems to be such a crazy processed situation that has way, way more steps than it needs to have. And so that, again, that's, that's kind of why I, I gravitated towards this Cause I was like, Oh, this is cool. Cause this is stuff that I, I, I can kind of make every night. I don't need to go nuts to 35 markets to get the ingredients for. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it's not a health food book. There is super healthy food in there, but right. also like, Sometimes you just want to have, make some some tomato sauce in the time it takes to boil water and cook pasta, you know. And then there's that part of it too. It's just like it's okay to have something comforting, and you know, and that's still going to be better for you than you know getting a you know a cheeseburger from you know Shake Shack or wherever it is, as delicious as it might be. You know, there's there's malleability in life. Noah had a small jar of Chinese fermented rice in his fridge, which we both had no clue about. So, here goes. Chinese fermented rice is fermented rice from China. But wait, there's more. It's called Junyang, and like most Chinese foods, its history goes back thousands of years. It was probably started to preserve rice. It's made by mixing it with water and something called Chinese wine yeast balls. Do not type that into you, porn. Anyway, the next day, you have a slightly sweet, slightly boozy rice that is actually really, really good for you. It's got tons of probiotics. Yay, Chinese wine yeast balls. There's a new ingredient that I discovered that is like, just to have this in my pantry is like so much fun. And there's a lot of interesting new things to do. And I never really cooked with it before, but rice noodles. And you mentioned it as one of oh, your yeah. pantry staples. Dude, yeah. it's so fun and easy and you can make fake Thai everything. That's it. Yeah. I mean, you think about, I mean, pad Thai is just rice noodles. I mean, obviously there's a lot of sugar in, in pad Thai usually, but you know, it's, yeah, I think that, you know, having these options, this malleability and being able to throw stuff together and kind of find the thing that fits right for you. 
Um, and yeah, and if you're trying to not eat gluten, you know, rice noodles are an awesome way to 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 just kind of make a nice little noodle dish. It can go into a soup really easily. You can uh, do it as a stir fry. You can make, uh, I do like a, a rice noodle salad in this book. That's like my, it's like a really fast go-to easy lunch. It's literally like you have the pot of water boiling, throw the rice noodles in, you throw in some frozen edamame right before it's done. You throw in some like ripped up kale and then you just drain it, chill it, toss it in a little quick dressing. And you just have, now you're eating this gluten-free sugar-free vegan lunch that you made in the time in basically 15 minutes and most of it you're sitting around waiting for water to boil. Yeah, I love it. There's another recipe that I feel like the name comes up a bunch in the book, which is crowdy beans. Yeah. So is this, this is just uh, beans and sauerkraut and tamari, right? For the most part, there's a little bit of garlic in there too. This one came about because uh, it actually sort of was invented around Eliza uh, being hungry at all of a sudden. And, you know, I always joke that when Eliza's hungry it's like she it's always an emergency she will it, it could not possibly occur to her that she'll ever be hungry again she's not hungry right. now so how could she be hungry later and so this was like she's hungry she's about to run out to do something and i was like all right let me just throw something together real quick i had a can of beans had some sauerkraut in the fridge sauteed some garlic threw in some you know uh, oregano tamari and spread it all up together it does not look great this dish to be clear but it's one of the most nutritious things you can possibly eat it is surprisingly delicious because the sauerkraut gives you this kind of briny, sour, kind of slight funk to it. And then the beans are very hearty and fulfilling. The tamari gives you this kind of umami roundness, roundness to it. And it's like you can make it in literally five minutes. It gives you so much nutrition and you just can knock it through. And it's uh, it became one of those things that she now like asks for, even when she's not in a hurry. And uh, we did it on the on the Don't Panic Pantry uh, Instagram live back in the day. And it kind of took off and became this like kind of fun little thing that people, everyone who eats it is like, this doesn't make sense. And then they eat it and they go, I can't believe that this is as good as it is. And everyone loves it. I've never even thought of heating up sauerkraut. Like that's never even been a thought. To I mean, you've had it like they, they fry it up, put it on a hot dog or something, right? You've had that. Oh, do they fry it up before they put it on? I didn't even a lot of times, it. yeah. Really? They'll do it that way. Yeah, and you can put sauerkraut in like a, in like a braise, you can do stuff like that. It's sauerkraut. I mean, again, it's just salt and cabbage. Right, exactly. And literally the water in sauerkraut is the liquid from the cabbage after it's been extracted out of the, uh, out of the cabbage. Right. Uh, there was something, there's another recipe in your cookbook, which was so close to my heart, which was late night drunken pasta. Oh my God. It's <laughs> that one. That's just like classic. It's so funny no to me because you made a, from... you made a recipe for one and it's like, yeah. That's what it's for. It's just one person drunk at home. I've I've been that one person so many times. We're like you like there wasn't really a route to a taco truck from where you were to where right. you live. And you're like, oh, and you get home and you're like, I got to eat something. Yeah, and it's the best. It's butter and soy sauce is one of the great combinations in the history of mankind. And when you put those two things together, it's just there's just magic alchemy that happens. And then you toss that with some pasta and you're just like, it's just like satisfying and it's so for you again you're just boiling water tossing stuff together throw some spices in there whatever you got on hand it's it's so good i it's, yeah another That's, one everyone goes why is this as good as it is <laughs> i think uh yeah my favorite part is you're like yeah just grab whatever spices you can find and just throw them in there yeah <laughs> this like, is don't panic pantry it's not like you have to do it my way that's why you know i've got three different versions of broccoli pasta in the book i have two different tomato sauces because like i mean 
food is so personal. People have yeah. so many feelings and opinions about things they can't eat. They can't eat. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, the amount of time now you have to spend whenever anyone's coming over for dinner, finding out everyone's dietary restrictions. Like, I wanted to give people the encouragement to try things out. And I've got recipes that work really, really well, but I've got modifications because people have personal needs. And I wanted to help them to kind of do that. If there's something that you really can't substitute, like I'll let you know. But, you know, for the most part, like if you want to make that edamame kale rice noodle salad and you only have frozen peas and spinach, fucking use frozen peas and spinach. Like the point is that you make yourself food that you're willing to eat. And that's kind of what the point of this book is. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like whenever I have friends who are cooking, who don't know how to cook and they're cooking out of a cookbook, I've never seen anyone more panicked in my life. Like yeah. they're freaking out to get the perfect like, oh, it says uh, it says one pinch of salt. What's a pinch? I don't know what, yeah. which which two fingers am I using to pinch here? Yeah, <laughs> like they they And it's funny because I feel like when I started cooking, I started to realize after cooking a lot like, oh, it wouldn't have made a difference if I added uh, you know, a cup and a half of spinach versus a cup mm-hmm. of spinach. It's the same shit. It's yeah, like, like so many baking, of these things are just arbitrary. And yeah, like baking is specific. And uh, and look, you know, these recipes are heavily tested and they do work. Um, and sometimes, you know, you can learn a lot from that where you go, oh, I would always do it this way. Let me try it that way and see if it works. And it turns out you learn a lot of cool stuff that way. But, yeah, you know, this is this is a book that really is aiming for functionality. And uh, this is not to show off that I'm a genius. I didn't invent anything in this book. I didn't uh, I didn't yeah. invent Mabo tofu. I didn't invent tomato sauce. Um, this is just, you know, this is the food that I cook in my house, inspired by the places I've been to in my life, by the the all the amazing cuisines that are in Los Angeles and all the grocery stores and all these different things that end up in my pantry and they start to kind of spill together and tip into each other. And you end up, you know, getting drunk and putting butter and soy sauce on pasta and life gets very good very quickly. By the way, you have something in the book that might change my life. I just wanted to pick your brain on it. You say that you don't need to pre-soak beans before cooking them? No, it's a total, it's a total myth. Really? All it does is save you time when you're cooking them. But it doesn't save you time because you've got to, it's adding 12 hours to your time. Right. So yeah, there's, there's like the myth that it makes them less farty, which is not true. Uh, Russ Parsons, who used to be at the LA Times, did a whole big thing about this and and yeah, there's no evidence of any of that stuff. But like, do whatever you want. I just, there's no, you don't, you certainly don't need to. Uh, no, Allison I love, listen, I'll be, of that as well. I'll be cooking with a lot more beans if this is the case. I just, I would always be like, okay, I want to have beans in five days. So let me start prepping today. That's right. <laughs> you don't have to. And uh, yeah, and I, so I've come to really love the oven method for cooking beans. Uh-huh, what's it's that? a much more consistent, much when you basically, you know, you put your beans on the stove with water bring it to a simmer and then cover it and drop it into the oven. And it's, it cooks way more consistently. And so you get this more even heat. You don't have to keep checking it and stirring it. It's uh, they're not going to like boil out as much. And it just, it makes a really kind of easier way of cooking beans. And I find it to be more consistent, but you can do them on the stove. You can do them kind of any number of ways. It just has to be on a simmer, right? Not, not a rolling boil. Correct. Yeah. So I think, I think I do it at like, you know, 250 degrees in the oven, like nothing too great or 300 maybe. It's in the book. I already forgot, yeah. but I think, yeah, 300, 325 and just kind of lets it do its thing. And uh, although lately I finally like bit the bullet sort of using a uh, instant Slow pot. cooker. Oh, I'm like 20 pot. years too late. Uh-huh. But uh, for stuff like beans and like lentils and things like that, it's amazing. Yeah. You can cook a dried bean in 40 minutes uh, with an instant pot and it comes out perfect. 
And uh, in some situations, it's actually even better. It cooks more consistently because you're not evaporating the water out. So it stays right. kind of more concentrated and flavorful. Um, yeah, Indian food is amazing in an instant pot. A lot of those like braises, a lot of lentils, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then I, I, the last thing that I thought was really fascinating was the loose rules on how to know if your fish is like was a sustainable fish. Yeah, this is another one that I was well, huge. Thank you to Peter Kareva, uh, who now runs the Aquarium of the Pacific in Long Beach. We were trying to talk about ways to approach seafood sustainability because it's so fucking hard to figure out. Yeah. And it's the rules are changing all the time. What fish is in and not in is changing constantly. And what ends I, up I remember Chilean sea bass was out and now it's and then it's back in. Yeah. And it's so like, you get into all these kind of things around it and it's really hard to keep track. And he was even saying like the the Monterey Bay Aquarium seafood app, which is also confusing because you can't tell like which varietal of tile fish is in your grocery store. Right, right. Um, but even that is super inaccurate, it turns out. And when we was talking to one of the leading sustainability experts in, in, in fishing, uh, Ray Hilborn, we were trying to figure it out. And we realized that the United States is basically the number one country in the world at regulating the fishing done in the U.S. itself. Hmm. What they are not good at is regulating what they're importing from other places. Right. So if you go to you know, your grocery store and you want to buy shrimp and you see there's shrimp from the U.S., shrimp from Thailand and shrimp from Mexico, which are the three probably most common places you'll see them from. If you just buy the one from the U.S., whatever it is, you're basically most of the way there. It's not a perfect system, but it is really, really, really close. And you can just use that as your gauge. Just buy something caught or farmed in the U.S. and you are now almost entirely uh, sustainable from a seafood standpoint. Yeah, I love that. I think it also, it was the U.S. and then it was also Iceland. Uh, Iceland was second. Actually, it was just in Iceland, weirdly enough. Yeah, uh, Iceland, and what was the other one? It was like Sweden or something? Yeah. It was another Scandinavian yeah, or, country. Yeah, Norway, maybe, I forget. And yeah. then, like, you know, Japan was pretty low on the list. Really? Yeah, because they don't, they're trying to do their thing. You know, they're, they got, they're trying to get the, the best fish they can find. And they, you know, and then they're, you know, shipping That's right, they don't fish. give a shit. They're like, we, we're, we're getting all the bluefin tuna. We don't care yeah. <laughs> how endangered they are. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so that's one of those things that just when you realize that, that kind of just opens it up. So you don't have to stress about it too much. You just go to the grocery store and it tells you right on the label where they got it from. Yeah. And then you can just pick that way and it just kind of frees you up uh, in, in a lot of ways. Sometimes it means you're buying a smaller shrimp. <laughs> right. But, you know, just deal with it. <laughs> it's funny. I went fishing with a buddy of mine and uh, we were in off of Long Beach. And we stopped at the bait. There's like a place to get bait. And yeah. they had these huge pens of sardines. Mm. And that was the bait. And I was like, I want to get a bag of this for home, too. <laughs> Where else can you find live sardines to take? Oh, it's <laughs> to incredible. Go? It was amazing. And they were so cheap. But yeah, super sustainable fish, sardines. All right. So I'm going to get to the questions that I ask uh, every guest uh, towards the middle of the podcast, starting with what is your earliest food memory? It's funny. I think I'm actually like not great at being able to tell like when things happened in my life and memories like I, if you I, I have memories i couldn't tell you if it was middle school if i was in high school they all kind of blend together for me but uh the truth is it's probably some version of you know smelling garlic olive oil and tomato sauce and uh, basil and tomatoes that my mom was cooking as a kid growing up that's in all likelihood it was some version of that smell nice 
Okay, what is your death row meal? Along um, those same lines, you know, it's, you know, I mean, it, I think a lot of people's answer is probably very tied to their childhood and their mother. And for me, like, I have, as a mom who's, you know, Italian-American, um, her mom was, like, off-the-boat Italian. Like, it's it's literally, it's the, it's the tomato sauce, the basic tomato sauce from this cookbook with, like, spaghetti and Parmesan cheese. That's, at the end of the day, like, that's my, my deepest comfort food. Yeah. What's the best high-end meal you've ever had? That's tough to answer, but I, uh, I'll do a little recency bias. Um, Eliza and I were in Iceland. It was a vacation that she, of course, had to add a, a show in Reykjavik onto because she's her, and so why not? Which is pretty amazing that she, like, sold out a thousand-seat theater in, like, last minute in Reykjavik in January. <laughs> right. Um, which is, you know, very her. But we, I had a friend of a friend who told me, he's like, I usually, when I'm traveling, I don't really care about going to, like, Michelin restaurants occasionally if it's like one of the places i will try to go but this place this guy told me like it was he's like this is the best michelin experience i've ever had in the world and he's a musician who traveled a ton and we went this place called uh ox or ox in reykjavik and uh it was truly outstanding just you know they sourced everything locally you come in and it's like you feel like you're in this like this like norwegian grandmother's house in like 1960 in the living room they bring out these snacks and then you prepay for the whole thing. So they just sort of unlimited wine and snacks and you're sort of, well, not unlimited snacks, but coursed out, you know, whatever it is, 20 courses. And you're sitting, there's, you know, 12 people in the restaurant total. So you're sort of meeting these other people, you can talk to these other couples. And then, uh, and then you go into the next place and they bring you into the dining room, which is basically like a big chef's counter. And the staff was, I want to say four people, maybe five or six, but I believe it was four. And they just nailed everything. And it was super loose and fun and casual, but the execution was outstanding. Um, and, you know, they're finding all these local stuff. There's like Icelandic wasabi that grows there. That's like a little sweeter than the stuff we're used to here. Wow. And it was truly stunning. And then one of my favorite parts of it on top of it all was just that talking to the guys there, the kitchen guys, um, they, and they gave me a tour of the little back kitchen after there is no dishwasher. There's no uh, bussers. It's just those people who work there. They all only work four days a week. They work, you know, a long day on those four days, but they're built around like creating a real work-life balance, a sustainable working environment. Uh, they're insisted that they're like, you know, very, so I was talking to the sous chef and he was just like, like, yeah, we don't yell at each other. We don't, you know, in light of all the Noma news and everything coming out these days. And people have been talking about, you know, the unsustainable nature of, you know, that level of fine dining and that they mm-hmm. really are trying to do things the right way. And it was just a, an outstanding meal across the board. So I'll say for now, I'll say uh, Oxen in Reykjavik. I love it. I think I've heard of that place. Um, it sounds pretty insane. Yeah, check uh, it out. What is the best? <laughs> check it out. When the next time you go to Iceland, <laughs> what is the best low end meal you've ever had? I mean, there's probably a bunch of contenders I'm not thinking of, and probably half of them are were street food in Tijuana. But uh, I would say, you know, the one that comes to mind is uh, on my bachelor party, I went to Tijuana and, uh, and Baja with a few friends. And I always get up super early. And one of my good friends who owns a bunch of the restaurants in our group, James Starr, we were both up early. Everyone else is, you know, asleep and passed out. And we just drove down to La Guerrerense, which is the sort of iconic uh, like ceviche stall in, in, uh, in Baja in, uh, yeah, in Ensenada. And we just like the two of us got there at like eight o'clock in the morning, just eating the best ceviche tostadas in the world. It wasn't busy yet. Like it, no one else was there. 
and we just me and one friend just eating truly outstanding like you know sea urchin tostadas at eight o'clock in the morning just to kind oh. of be like well, that's pretty good we'll go with that. what is your favorite drunk food gotta be that pasta huh i mean the book <laughs> that is that is the most common drunk food and i do absolutely love it but i will say it is that's what i do when there wasn't a really good taco truck between the bar and my house and like that is one of the great benefits of living in la is like and actually i'm going to even go more specific while i do will always love tacos and burritos i think the most underrated food possibly just period in the world in my opinion is a beef milanese torta where you take like wow interesting like pound it thin deep fry on a torta like from a really good truck that does it right with like black beans and avocado and like the Oaxacan string cheese and all that stuff and like spicy salsa and like that crispy soft bun and you get that like fried spicy beef milanese torta with like that like kind of thick kind of sweet mayonnaise in there that like crema vibe in there it's mm. and like it's it's one of those things that nobody ever gets it. And then you get one and they go, you know what? You're right. That's fucking great. It's so true. I would never get tortas uh, in general from a taco truck. Cause I'm like, I should get the taco or the burrito. But yeah. once I got a torta milanese in Mexico, I was like, this is magical. I mean, they're incredible. It's, <laughs> yeah. I just think, you know, it's a, uh, and look, I'll happily, you know, I'll happily get like an all pastor alambre from like uh, Leo's or I'll get, you know, you want to get the thing at the place, whatever the best thing that place has, what I'll usually get. But every once in a while, you discover a great beef milanese torta, and it's just, it's a very special thing. What is your favorite hangover cure? You know, the honest answer is that health sludge. <laughs> really? I find that, like, if you do that, that that's actually the things your body is craving. <laughs> right. The and you start to feel pretty good. It's, but, you know, uh, but my, my answer, if it's like really rough and I just want like deep pleasure and comfort, like take me to a uh, like a Mexican breakfast spot in Burbank and give me like cafe de olla or like a Mexican Coke and chilaquiles. And I'm pretty happy. I, this is crazy that uh, I'm actually talking to uh, the person who helped invent my uh, favorite hangover cure, which is the, the breakfast oh. burrito at Kofax. Hey, I mean, <laughs> as you can imagine, I don't you don't really eat the things that you, that you made that much anymore. You perfect, you get the whole thing going. Um, but every once in a while I'll kind of go like, Oh yeah, I haven't had one. Probably haven't had one in probably two or three years at this point. Yeah. But every once in a while you go like, you know what? I'll, I'll have one. And it's yeah, pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. I did a good job. Who was your favorite celebrity food personality? You know, as a kid, I like used to watch like Lydia Bastianich on PBS all the time. Yeah. And so like I've actually gotten to like talk to her for like a live stream to promote her cookbook. Um, and that was super fun. Um, so I like I, that's like my childhood answer. That show was so great. I I would watch that with my mom. It was it's like still going. The pacing was. Is it really? I think so. Oh my god! I'm pretty sure she's still going, man. She's still making books. She's still going. Um, and uh, yeah, it's the greatest. It just has the best pacing to it. It's like it's just got that like public television yeah. pacing yeah. to it. Welcome, come, <laughs> let's eat. It's like that whole vibe. That's incredible. And then obviously like. No, he's not really a celebrity chef in my in my mind, but like the Anthony Bourdain thing was a huge influence on me growing up. Um, really changed the way. But you know, again, like no one really cares about him as a chef. Like no one, like right, it's not right. like we're like, ooh, can't wait to go to you know as all. Um, and then uh, yeah, so those are kind of the, the the answers from when I was younger. And now I've had the benefit of kind of getting to know a few people in real life, and 
Like, like Nisha I hate Arrington. all of them. <laughs> no, like Nisha Arrington is genuinely one of the best people I've ever met. And she's now like blowing up. She's got that Gordon Ramsay Fox show. They're doing a version in, in the UK. I'm getting yeah. to work with her on this cookbook. And she's just uh, an absolute delight and really, really, really knows her stuff across the board and has an amazing story. And then, you know, like, and it depends on how famous celebrity counts as, but like, you know, Chris Bianco is is like one of the great people I've ever I've ever met in this industry. Yeah. I met him briefly at the at his restaurant and it wasn't like he didn't know who I was or anything like that. And he was so generous and sweet to me. Yeah. It was so cool. He's such I a nice him, guy. I've like hung out with him now like probably ten times or something. The first five times I kept telling him who I was. Like, yeah, I was because like he's one of those guys who he treats you the same if he's known you for 20 years as if you just met you. Right. And right. so I was like, and he eventually is like, I remember who you are. You don't have to. I was like, I, I don't know. It's just like one of those guys. He's, he's just so nice to everybody. And I was just, I always, you know, I always assumed that he wouldn't remember me. And I think now right. he, he does. So it's very exciting for me personally. Is there a food that you can't stand eating? I mean, to me, it's, I'm not a huge sweets person. So like super saccharin stuff is not my thing. Like, you know, this doesn't count as food maybe, but like, if you give me like a really sugary cocktail, like I'm, it's my nightmare. Yeah. Like give me, yeah. Even like, yeah. Like even a margarita, if it's got like, like that, like, uh, that store-bought margarita mix in there, I'm like, give me a shot of tequila and a, and a, and a lime wedge and put it on the right. rocks and leave me alone. Like I, <laughs> that kind of stuff kills me. And so, you know, yeah, I would say something in that realm. Does that, does that count? You know what sucks about the whole margarita thing is that I like my margaritas with very little sugar as well. Like yeah. just the most minimal amount. And I say that when I'm ordering it and they'll be like, oh, you want a skinny margarita? And I'm like, can't we not call it like, is there a way that I can get a regular margarita without having to like out myself as like a dieting L.A. person? <laughs> you could maybe just try to become the even more annoying person and just say, can I have the, the simple syrup on the side and I'll add it myself. That's not a bad idea. I, I will be that annoying. Yeah, I would, you know, as a as a bartender, I would hate you. But right. as, a, as a person who wants to get what I want, I think that might be the move. Like Eliza loves drinking like vodka on the rocks with a terrifying amount of olive juice poured into it. Right. So it's like a dirty martini, except it's not up and there's no triple. There's no um, vermouth. Vermouth. And it's a real bummer because she doesn't drink that much. And it's one of the few drinks that I don't like. And so to not be able to finish my wife's drink when she orders it and doesn't want to finish it is like a real, a real personal pain of mine. I'm shocked that you guys got married. <laughs> yeah, um, luckily, some other things uh, lined <laughs> up in other areas. You know, it's funny, though. I, I, I'm with you. Like whenever I go to like a, even like the fancy pants restaurants that are like they have their cocktail menus and they have their cool little hibiscus, this and that. And I'm always like, I do not like sweet drinks. They're like, oh, no, no, no. Ours are not like that. And I'm like, OK. And without fail, it's sweet. And I'm like, I should have just gotten a Negroni or a Martini. I feel like these days, it's like my, my drinks have gotten simpler. It's like, give me like a real gin martini. Uh, give me like, you know, if it's like a bar where I don't trust anybody, I'm like, take that whiskey and pour it in a glass and don't touch anything. Um, <laughs> right. Or just like a beer or a glass of wine. And I'm pretty happy. What are, now we're up to my uh, favorite question of the pod. What are your restaurant pet peeves? You're a restaurant guy. You've opened restaurants. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, I mean, the, the easy answer is like, is people not giving a shit? Like, yeah, it's yeah. such a hard business. And to like get into it and not care about it. It's like, what are you doing here? 
But it's hard to tell that sometimes as a customer. So I, the one that really gets me uh, is when they like, first of all, I hate like the, the server who feels like he's trying to get one over on you where he's like a little too, like that like fake genuine server versus the real genuine server. But mm. the thing that drives me the most, make me the most upset is when they kill the pacing. We're like, let's say Eliza and I were going, you know, with a friend, we're, we're going to go out, we're going to have a fun night out. We get down, we order a drink right away. We, we place our food order. The first drink is about to be finished and we're like, all right, let's get that second drink. Let's get that buzz going. We're going to have a fun, like sexy dinner. And then like, you're just sitting there. Nobody yeah. comes back. Nobody comes back. They don't, which by the way, is the easiest. I'm the easiest target in the world. I'm trying to get a second drink from you so I can get to a third drink during dinner. Like, let's do this thing. Yes. And you won't take my money. And I'm just sitting there. And then eventually like the runner brings the food out and like, you can't get to your server. And now it's like, you're and you've and the food like took a little too long where it's like it took like 25 minutes from when you ordered and like the drink was gone and nobody came back and now you're just kind of like bummed yeah that is the thing that kills me i'm with you the pacing is so important which is why i'm a huge proponent i actually said it in the in the podcast we recorded earlier today i'm a huge pr- proponent of the korean button in oh, korean yeah. restaurants the oh button. my god oh it's amazing the best every it's restaurant the should have the korean button also fine your food's running late give me another drink like i'm trying to hang out and have a good time here like let's like that kind of shit and just like do you not want money and then uh yeah and then you do what you have to do at the end of the meals you tip 20 percent and never come back do you feel like you guys uh you and eliza get better service worse service more annoying service when like when she's recognized and you go out I mean, if she's recognized, yeah, she doesn't get recognized that much in LA from time to time, but way more in like other cities like Charleston, South Carolina, for some reason, like got stopped all the time, which was very funny. And then sometimes it's, yeah, in a restaurant, it's nice. They'll send something out or something like that. But uh, yeah, I would say the service is about the same. I don't think we get worse service in those situations. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like a lot of times I'm playing like catch up to you guys. I don't know if if I got to the restaurant before (laughs) you guys did or you got there before me, but I'm. Like when they find out I'm a comedian, they're like, oh yeah, you know, Eliza Schlesinger was just here. And I'm like, fucking. <laughs> Got horses. I think guys. actually once I was like walking out of horses and you guys were walking in and I was like oh, late funny. for something. So I didn't say anything. It was like, God damn it. Stop yeah, following we, me. <laughs> and I don't actually, we don't go out that much in LA anymore. Every once in a while still. But like, I, I eat out a lot when I'm out of town. When I'm home, I'm pretty happy just to make dinner, watch a movie and like go to bed at 930. Yeah. Well, Congrats on this book, man. I'm Thank glad you so that much. you finally got to make your own. And it's it's really awesome. I mean, again, I'm I'm so like I have such a cookbook fatigue. Yeah. But this was like I actually I could definitely see myself making something from this because it's like it's things that are very easily doable that are, you know, you're you're not reinventing the wheel, but you're making the wheel a little a little shinier, which is uh all all you can ask for in the kitchen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, and also if people were curious to kind of check it out without having to look at the book right now, the YouTube channel, uh, this whole month of January, every episode is a recipe from the book. So you can kind of watch me cook a few hits from the book and uh, see how that looks. And the recipes are down in the description box if you want to check that out as well. Yeah. What is, tell everyone what the YouTube channel is. Don't panic pantry. Keep that, keep that brand alive, baby. I love but, it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's, that's just kind of my, you know, version where, you know, it's, as you know, like, building something up from scratch is slow and we're just kind of putting some time in and working our asses off on this. And uh, I'm really proud of the show and 
hopefully uh, people keep checking it out. Awesome. Thank you, Noah. And tell tell everyone else where they can find you social media-wise and stuff like that. I'm on uh, Instagram as, uh, as at Galuten, my last name, G-A-L-U-T-E-N. I'm on other stuff too, but I don't really do it that much. So yeah, Instagram, YouTube channel, and then, uh, you know, buy the book, uh, ideally from a small independent bookstore if you can, but Amazon works too. And uh, yeah, I just, you know, I would appreciate people buying it so I get to do another one. I mean, when are you making the gluten-free cookbook called Gluten-Free? Well, that would mean that I'm not involved. I think everyone else's cookbook should be called Gluten-Free. Ah, interesting point. <laughs> yeah, right. if, if I don't write your cookbook, you could advertise it as Gluten-Free. Gluten-Free. All right, thank you, Noah. I appreciate it. Thanks, such a pleasure. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.